0: Section forty one of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book Four by John Calvin, Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter nineteen, Part One Of the Five Sacraments Falsely So Called their spuriousness proved, and their true character explained. There are two divisions of this chapter. One, a general discussion of these five sacraments, sections 1 through 3. Two, a special consideration of each. One, of confirmation, sections 4 through 13. Two, of penance, sections 14 through 17. Three, of extreme unction, sections 18 through 21. Four, of order, in which the seven so called sacraments have originated, sections twenty two to twenty three. Five of marriage, sections thirty four to thirty seven. Sections one. Connection of the present discussion with that concerning baptism and the Lord's Supper, impiety of the popish teachers in attributing more to human rights than to the ordinances of God. Two. Men cannot institute sacraments. NECESSARY TO KEEP UP A DISTINCTION BETWEEN SACRAMENTS AND OTHER CEREMONIES. 3. SEVEN SACRAMENTS NOT TO BE FOUND IN ECCLESIASTICAL WRITERS. AUGUSTINE, WHO MAY REPRESENT ALL THE OTHERS, ACKNOWLEDGED TWO SACRAMENTS ONLY. 4. NATURE OF CONFIRMATION IN ANCIENT TIMES, THE LAYING ON OF HANDS. 5. THIS KIND OF CONFIRMATION AFTERWARDS INTRODUCED. IT IS FALSELY CALLED A SACRAMENT. 6. Popish argument for confirmation answered. 7. Argument confirmed by the example of Christ, absurdity and impiety of papists in calling their oil the oil of salvation. 8. Papistical argument that baptism cannot be complete without confirmation answered. 9. Argument that without confirmation we cannot be fully Christians answer. 10. ARGUMENT THAT THE UNCTION IN CONFIRMATION IS MORE EXCELLENT THAN BAPTISM, ANSWER. 11. ANSWER CONTINUED, ARGUMENT THAT CONFIRMATION HAS GREATER VIRTUE. 12. ARGUMENT FROM THE PRACTICE OF ANTIQUITY, AUGUSTINE'S VIEW OF CONFIRMATION. 13. THE ANCIENT CONFIRMATION VERY PRAISEWORTHY SHOULD BE RESTORED IN CHURCHES IN THE PRESENT DAY. 14. OF PENITENTS. Confused and absurd language of the popish doctors. Imposition of hands in ancient times. This made by the papists a kind of foundation of the sacrament of penance. 15. Disagreement among papists themselves as to the grounds on which penance is regarded as a sacrament. 16. More plausibility in calling the absolution of the priest than in calling penance a sacrament. 17. Penance not truly a sacrament. Baptism the sacrament of penitence. 18. Extreme unction described. No foundation for it in the words of James. 19. No better ground for making this unction a sacrament than any of the other symbols mentioned in Scripture. 20. Insult offered by this unction to the Holy Spirit. It cannot be a sacrament as it was not instituted by Christ And has no promise annexed to it. 21. No correspondence between the unction enjoined by James and the anointing of the Papists. 22. Of ecclesiastical orders. Two points for discussion. Absurdities here introduced. Whether ecclesiastical order is a sacrament. Papists not agreed as to holy orders. 23. Insult to Christ in attempting to make him their colleague. 24. The greater part of these orders empty names implying no certain office. Popish exorcists. 25. Absurdity of the tonsure. 26. The Judaizing nature of the tonsure. Why Paul shaved his head in consequence of a vow. 27. Origin of this clerical tonsure is given by Augustine. Absurd ceremonies in consecrating doorkeepers, readers, exorcists, and acolytes. 28. Of the higher class of orders called holy orders. Insult offered to Christ when ministers are regarded as priests. Holy orders have nothing of the nature of a sacrament. 29. Absurd imitation of our Savior in breathing on His apostles. 30. Absurdity of the anointing employed. 31. Imposition of hands, absurdity of, in papistical ordination. 32. Ordination of deacons, absurd forms of papists. 33. Of subdeacons. 34. Marriage not a sacrament. 35. Nothing in Scripture to countenance the idea that marriage is a sacrament. 36 origin of the notion that marriage is a sacrament. 37. Practical abuses from this erroneous idea of marriage. Conclusion. 1. The above discourse concerning the sacraments might have the effect, among the docile and sober-minded, of preventing them from indulging their curiosity, or from embracing, without authority from the word, any other sacraments than those two, which they know to have been instituted by the Lord. But since the idea of seven sacraments, almost common in the mouths of all, and circulated in all schools and sermons, by mere antiquity, has struck its roots, and is even now seated in the minds of men, I thought it might be worth while to give a separate and closer consideration of the other five, which are vulgarly classed with the true and genuine sacraments of the Lord, and, after wiping away every gloss, to hold them up to view of the simple, so that they see what their true nature is, and how falsely they have hitherto been regarded as sacraments. Here, at the outset, I would declare to all the pious, that I engage not in this dispute about a word for love of wrangling, but am induced by weighty causes to impugn the abuse of it. I am not unaware that Christians are the masters of words, as they are of all things, and that therefore they may at pleasure adapt words to things, provided a pious meaning is retained, though there should be some impropriety in the mode of expression. All this I concede, though it were better to make words subordinate to things than things to words. But in the name of sacrament the case is different, for those who set down seven sacraments at the same time give this definition to all, that is, that they are visible forms of invisible grace, and at the same time make them all vehicles of the Holy Spirit, instruments for conferring righteousness, causes of procuring grace. Accordingly, the Master of Sentences himself denies that the sacraments of the Mosaic Law are properly called by this name, because they exhibited not what they figured. Is it tolerable, I ask, that the symbols which the Lord has consecrated with His own lips— which he has distinguished by excellent promises, should be regarded as no sacraments, and that meanwhile this honour should be transferred to those rites which men have either devised of themselves, or at least observe without any express command from God? Therefore let them either change the definition, or refrain from this use of the word, which may afterwards give rise to false and absurd opinions." Extreme unction, they say, is a figure and cause of invisible grace, because it is a sacrament. If we cannot possibly admit the inference, we must certainly meet them on the subject of the name, that we may not receive it on terms which may furnish occasion for such an error. On the other hand, when they prove it to be a sacrament, they add the reason, because it consists of the external sign and the word, if we find neither command nor promise what else can we do than protest against it Two, it now appears that we are not quarrelling about a word but raising a not unnecessary discussion as to the reality accordingly we most strenuously maintain what we formerly confirmed by invincible argument that the power of instituting a sacrament belongs to god alone since a sacrament ought, by the sure promise of God, to raise up and comfort the consciences of believers which could never receive this assurance from men. A sacrament ought to be a testimony of the goodwill of God towards us. Of this no man or angel can be witness, since God has no counsellor. Isaiah 40, verse 13, Romans eleven thirty four. He himself alone, with legitimate authority, testifies of himself to us by his word. A sacrament is a seal of attestation or promise of God. Now it could not be sealed by corporeal things, or the elements of this world, unless they were confirmed and set apart for this purpose by the will of God. Man, therefore, cannot institute a sacrament, because it is not in the power of man to make such divine mysteries lurk under things so abject. The word of God must proceed to make a sacrament to be a sacrament, as Augustine most admirably shows. Moreover, it is useful to keep up some distinction between sacraments and other ceremonies if we would not fall into many absurdities. The apostles prayed on their bended knees, therefore our knees may not be bent without a sacrament. Acts 9, 20, 20, The disciples were said to have prayed toward the east. Thus, looking at the east is a sacrament. Paul would have men in every place to lift up pure hands, 1 Timothy 2 8. And it is repeatedly stated that the saints prayed with uplifted hands, let the outstretching therefore of hands also become a sacrament. In short, let all the gestures of saints pass into sacraments, though I should not greatly object to this, provided it was not connected with those greater inconveniences. 3. If they would press us with the authority of the ancient church, I say that they are using a gloss. This number 7 is nowhere found in the ecclesiastical writers, nor is it well ascertained at what time it crept in. I confess, indeed, that they sometimes use freedom with the term sacrament. But what do they mean by it? All ceremonies, external writs, and exercises of piety but when they speak of those signs which ought to be testimonies of the divine favour toward us they are contented with those two: baptism and the eucharist lest any one suppose that this is falsely alleged by me i will here give a few passages from augustine first i wish you to hold that the principal point in this discussion is that our lord jesus christ as he himself says in the gospel has placed us under a yoke which is easy and a burden which is light. Hence he has knit together the society of his new people by sacraments, very few in number, most easy of observance, and most excellent in meaning. Such is baptism consecrated by the name of the Trinity, such is the communion of the body and blood of the Lord, and any other if recommended in the canonical scriptures." Again, after the resurrection of our Lord, our Lord Himself, and apostolic discipline, appointed, instead of many, a few signs, and these most easy of performance, most august in meaning, most chaste in practice, such as baptism and the celebration of the body and blood of the Lord. Quote. Why does he here make no mention of the sacred number, I mean seven? Is it probable that he would have omitted it, if it had then been established in the church, especially seeing he is otherwise more curious in observing numbers than might be necessary. Nay, when he makes mention of baptism and the supper, and is silent as to others, does he not sufficiently intimate that these two ordinances excel in special dignity, and that other ceremonies sink down to an inferior place?' Wherefore I say that those sacramentary doctors are not only unsupported by the word of God, but also by the consent of the early church, however much they may plume themselves on the pretense that they have this consent. But let us now come to particulars. Of Confirmation 4. It was anciently customary for the children of Christians, after they had grown up, to appear before the bishop to fulfil that duty which was required of such adults as presented themselves for baptism. These sat among the catechumens until they were duly instructed in the mysteries of the faith, and could make a confession of it before bishop and people. The infants, therefore, who had been initiated by baptism, not having then given a confession of faith to the church, were again, toward the end of their boyhood, or on adolescence, brought forward by their parents, and were examined by the bishop in terms of the catechism which was then in common use. In order that this act, which otherwise justly required to be grave and holy, might have more reverence and dignity, the ceremony of laying on of hands was also used. Thus the boy, on his faith being approved, was dismissed with a solemn blessing. Ancient writers often make mention of this custom. Pope Leo says, quote, if any one returns from heretics let him not be baptized again but let that which was there wanting to him that is the virtue of the spirit be conferred by the laying on of the hands of the bishop quote. our opponents will here exclaim that the name of sacrament is justly given to that by which the holy spirit is conferred but leo elsewhere explains what he means by these words quote, let not him who was baptized by heretics be rebaptized, but be confirmed by the laying on of hands with the invocation of the Holy Spirit, because he received only the form of baptism without sanctification. End quote. Jerome also mentions it. Now, though I deny not that Jerome is somewhat under delusion when he says that the observance is apostolical, he is, however, very far from the follies of these men and he softens the expression when he adds that this benediction is given to bishops only, more in honour of the priesthood than from any necessity of law. This laying on of hands, which is done simply by way of benediction, I commend, and would like to see restored to its pure use in the present day. 5. A later age having almost obliterated the reality, introduced a kind of fictitious confirmation as a divine sacrament. They feigned that the virtue of confirmation consisted in conferring the Holy Spirit, for increase of grace, on him that had been prepared in baptism for righteousness, and in confirming for contest those who in baptism were regenerated to life. This confirmation is performed by unction and the following form of words, I sign thee with the sign of the Holy Cross, and confirm thee with the chrism of salvation, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, quote. All fair and venerable, but where is the word of God which promises the presence of the Holy Spirit here? Not one iota can they allege. How will they assure us that their chrism is a vehicle of the Holy Spirit? We see oil, that is, a thick and greasy liquid, but nothing more. Quote, Let the word be added to the element, says Augustine, and it will become a sacrament, quote. Let them, I say, produce this word if they would have us to see anything more in the oil than oil. But if they would show themselves to be ministers of the sacraments as they ought, there would be no room for further dispute. The first duty of a minister is not to do anything without a command. Come, then, and let them produce some command for this ministry, and I will not add a word." If they have no command, they cannot excuse their sacrilegious audacity. For this reason, our Saviour interrogated the Pharisees as to the baptism of John, Was it from heaven or of men? Matthew 21.25 If they had answered, of men, he held them confessed that it was frivolous and vain. If, of heaven, they were forced to acknowledge the doctrine of John. Accordingly, not to be too contumelious to John, they did not venture to say that it was of men. Therefore, if confirmation is of men, it is proved to be frivolous and vain. And if they would persuade us that it is of heaven, let them prove it. 6. They indeed defend themselves by the example of the apostles, who, they presume, did nothing rashly. In this they are right, nor would they be blamed by us if they showed themselves to be imitators of the apostles. But what did the apostles do? Luke narrates, Acts 8:15 and 17, that the apostles who were at Jerusalem, when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, sent thither Peter and John, that Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, who had not yet come upon any of them, they having only been baptized in the name of Jesus that after prayer they laid their hands upon them, and that by this laying on of hands the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Luke repeatedly mentions this laying on of hands. I hear what the apostles did, that is, they faithfully executed their ministry. It pleased the Lord that those visible and admirable gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he then poured out upon his people, should be administered and distributed by his apostles by the laying on of hands. I think that there was no deeper mystery under this laying on of hands, but I interpret that this kind of ceremony was used by them to intimate, by the outward act, that they commended to God, and, as it were, offered him on whom they laid hands. Did this ministry, which the apostles then performed, still remain in the church, it would also behove us to observe the laying on of hands. But since that gift has ceased to be conferred, to what end is the laying on of hands? Assuredly the Holy Spirit is still present with the people of God. Without his guidance and direction the church of God cannot subsist. For we have a promise of perpetual duration by which Christ invites the thirsty to come to him that they may drink living water. John seven thirty seven. But those miraculous powers and manifest operations which were distributed by the laying on of hands have ceased. They were only for a time. For it was right that the new preaching of the gospel, the new kingdom of Christ, should be signalized and magnified by unwanted and unheard-of miracles. When the Lord ceased from these, he did not forthwith abandon his church, but intimated that the magnificence of his kingdom, and the dignity of his word, had been sufficiently manifested. In what respect, then, can these stage-players say that they imitate the Apostles? The object of the laying on of hands was that the evident power of the Holy Spirit might be immediately exerted. This they effect not. Why, then, do they claim to themselves the laying on of hands, which is indeed said to have been used by the Apostles, but altogether to a different end? Seven. THE SAME ACCOUNT IS TO BE GIVEN WERE ANY ONE TO INSIST THAT THE BREATHING OF OUR LORD UPON HIS DISCIPLES, JOHN 20.22, IS A SACRAMENT BY WHICH THE HOLY SPIRIT IS CONFERRED. BUT THE LORD DID THIS ONCE FOR ALL, AND DID NOT ALSO WISH US TO DO IT. IN THE SAME WAY ALSO, THE APOSTLES LAID THEIR HANDS, AGREEABLY TO THAT TIME AT WHICH IT PLEASED THE LORD THAT THE VISIBLE GIFTS OF THE SPIRIT SHOULD BE DISPENSED IN ANSWER TO THEIR PRAYERS not that posterity might, as those apes do, mimic the empty and useless sign without the reality. But if they prove that they imitate the apostles in the laying on of hands, though in this they have no resemblance to the apostles except it be in manifesting some absurd false zeal, where did they get their oil which they call the oil of salvation? Who taught them to seek salvation in oil? Who taught them to attribute to it the power of strengthening?' WAS IT PAUL, WHO DRAWS US FAR AWAY FROM THE ELEMENTS OF THIS WORLD, AND CONDEMNS NOTHING MORE THAN CLINGING TO SUCH OBSERVANCES? THIS I BOLDLY DECLARE, NOT OF MYSELF, BUT FROM THE LORD. THOSE WHO CALL OIL THE OIL OF SALVATION, ABJURE THE SALVATION WHICH IS IN CHRIST, DENY CHRIST, AND HAVE NO PART IN THE KINGDOM OF GOD. OIL FOR THE BELLY, AND THE BELLY FOR OIL, BUT THE LORD WILL DESTROY BOTH for all these weak elements which perish even in the using have nothing to do with the kingdom of god which is spiritual and will never perish what then some one will say do you apply the same rule to the water by which we are baptized and the bread and wine under which the lord's supper is exhibited i answer that in the sacraments of divine appointment two things are to be considered the substance of the corporeal thing which is set before us and the form which has been impressed upon it by the word of God, and in which its whole force lies. In as far, then, as the bread, wine, and water, which are presented to our view in the sacraments, retain their substance, Paul's declaration applies, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them, First Corinthians 6.13. For they pass and vanish away with the fashion of this world. But in as far as they are sanctified by the word of God to be sacraments, they do not confine us to the flesh, but teach truly and spiritually eight, but let us make a still closer inspection and see how many monsters this greasy oil fosters and nourishes those anointers say that the holy spirit is given in baptism for righteousness and in confirmation for increase of grace. THAT IN BAPTISM WE ARE REGENERATED FOR LIFE, AND IN CONFIRMATION, EQUIPPED FOR CONTEST. AND ACCORDINGLY, THEY ARE NOT ASHAMED TO DENY THAT BAPTISM CAN BE DULY COMPLETED WITHOUT CONFIRMATION. HOW NEFARIOUS! ARE WE NOT THEN BURIED WITH CHRIST BY BAPTISM, AND MADE PARTAKERS OF HIS DEATH, THAT WE MAY ALSO BE PARTNERS OF HIS RESURRECTION? THIS FELLOWSHIP WITH THE LIFE AND DEATH OF CHRIST Paul interprets to mean the mortification of our flesh, and the quickening of the spirit, our old man being crucified in order that we may walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 6. What is it to be equipped for contest if this is not? But if they deemed it as nothing to trample on the word of God, why did they not at least reverence the church, to which they would be thought to be in everything so obedient? What heavier charge can be brought against their doctrine than the decree of the Council of Melita? Let him who says that baptism is given for the remission of sins only, and not in aid of future grace, be anathema. When Luke, in the passage which we have quoted, says that the Samaritans were only quote, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 8:16, but had not received the Holy Spirit, he does not say absolutely that those who believed in Christ with the heart and confessed him with the mouth were not endued with any gift of the Spirit. He means that receiving of the Spirit by which miraculous power and visible graces were received. Thus the apostles were said to have received the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts two four, whereas Christ had long before said to them, It is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Matthew 10.20 Ye who are of God, see the malignant and pestiferous wile of Satan. What was truly given in baptism is falsely said to be given in the confirmation of it, that he may stealthily lead away the unwary from baptism. Who can now doubt that this doctrine, which dissevers the proper promises of baptism from baptism and transfers them elsewhere, is a doctrine of Satan? We have discovered on what foundation this famous unction rests. The Word of God says that as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ with His gifts. Galatians 3.27 THE WORD OF THE ANOINTERS SAYS THAT THEY RECEIVED NO PROMISE IN BAPTISM TO EQUIP THEM FOR CONTEST. THE FORMER IS THE WORD OF TRUTH, THE LATTER MUST BE THE WORD OF FALSEHOOD. I CAN DEFINE THIS BAPTISM MORE TRULY THAN THEY THEMSELVES HAVE HITHERTO DEFINED IT. THAT IS, THAT IT IS A NOTED INSULT TO BAPTISM, THE USE OF WHICH IT OBSCURES, NAY, ABOLISHES, THAT IT IS A FALSE SUGGESTION OF THE DEVIL, WHICH DRAWS US AWAY FROM THE TRUTH OF GOD, or, if you prefer it, that it is oil polluted with a lie of the devil, deceiving the minds of the simple by shrouding them, as it were, in darkness. 9. They add, moreover, that all believers ought, after baptism, to receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, that they may become complete Christians, inasmuch as there never can be a Christian who has not been chrismed by episcopal confirmation these are their exact words. I thought that everything pertaining to Christianity was prescribed and contained in Scripture. Now I see that the true form of religion must be sought and learned elsewhere than in Scripture. Divine wisdom, heavenly truth, the whole doctrine of Christ, only begins the Christian. It is the oil that perfects him. By this sentence are condemned all the apostles and the many martyrs who, it is absolutely certain, were never chrismed, the oil not yet being made, besmeared with which they might fulfil all the parts of Christianity, or rather become Christians, which as yet they were not. Though I were silent, they abundantly refute themselves. How small the proportion of the people whom they anoint after baptism! Why, then, do they allow among the flock so many half-Christians, whose imperfection they might easily remedy? why, with such supine negligence, do they allow them to omit what cannot be omitted without grave offence? Why do they not more rigidly insist on a matter so necessary, that, without it, salvation cannot be obtained, unless, perhaps, when the act has been anticipated by sudden death? When they allow it to be thus licentiously despised, they tacitly confess that it is not of the importance which they pretend. Ten. Lastly, they conclude that the sacred unction is to be held in greater veneration than baptism, because the former is specially administered by the higher order of priests, whereas the latter is dispensed in common by all priests whatever. What can you here say but that they are plainly mad in thus pluming themselves on their own inventions, while in comparison with these they carelessly contemn the sacred ordinances of God? Sacrilegious mouth!— Dare you oppose oil merely polluted with your fetid breath, and charmed by your muttered words, to the sacrament of Christ, and compare it with water sanctified by the word of God? But even this was not enough for your improbity. You must also prefer it. Such are the responses of the Holy See, such the oracles of the apostolic tripod. But some of them have begun to moderate this madness, which even in their own opinion was carried too far it is to be held in greater veneration they say not perhaps because of the greater virtue and utility which it confers but because it is given by more dignified persons and in a more dignified part of the body the forehead or because it gives a greater increase of virtue though baptism is more effectual for forgiveness but do they not by their first reason prove themselves to be donatists who estimate the value of the sacrament by the dignity of the minister? Grant, however, that confirmation may be called more dignified from the dignity of the bishop's hand. Still, should any one ask how this great prerogative was conferred on the bishops, what reason can they give but their own caprice? The rite was used only by the apostles, who alone dispensed the Holy Spirit. Are bishops alone apostles? Are they apostles at all? However, let us grant this also. Why do they not, on the same grounds, maintain that the sacrament of blood in the Lord's Supper is to be touched only by bishops? Their reason for refusing it to laics is, that it was given by our Lord to the apostles only. If to the apostles only, why not infer then to bishops only? But in that place they make the apostles simple presbyters, whereas here another vertigo seizes them, and they suddenly elect them bishops. Lastly, Ananias was not an apostle, and yet Paul was sent to him to receive his sight, to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.17. I will add, though cumulatively, if, by divine right, this office was peculiar to bishops, why have they dared to transfer it to plebeian presbyters, as we read in one of the epistles of Gregory. 11. How frivolous, inept, and stolid the other reason, that their confirmation is worthier than the baptism of God, because in confirmation it is the forehead that is besmeared with oil, and in baptism the cranium! As if baptism were performed with oil and not with water! I take all the pious to witness whether it be not the one aim of these miscreants to adulterate the purity of the sacraments by their leaven. I have said elsewhere that what is of God in the sacraments can scarcely be got a glimpse of among the crowd of human inventions. If they did not then give me credit for the fact, let them now give it to their own teachers. Here, passing over water, and making it of no estimation, they set a great value on oil alone in baptism. We maintain against them that in baptism also the forehead is sprinkled with water, in comparison with which we do not value your oil one straw, whether in baptism or in confirmation. But if any one alleges that oil is sold for more, I answer, that by this accession of value any good which might otherwise be in it is vitiated, so far is it from being lawful fraudulently to vend this most vile imposture. They betray their impiety by the third reason, when they pretend that a greater increase of virtue is conferred in confirmation than in baptism. By the laying on of hands the apostles dispensed the visible gifts of the Spirit. In what respect does the oil of these men prove its fecundity? But have done with these guides who cover one's sacrilege with many acts of sacrilege. It is a gordian knot which it is better to cut than to lose so much labor in untying. End of section forty one.